Hi, my name is Ellie Compulsive Overeater. Um, I just want to take a moment to look around at all the faces here, some of whom I've known a long time and some of whom are new to me. And I just want to say I'm really glad that we have as many, quote, newcomers as we do today. Um, because I get to tell you what, it was, what I was like, what happened, what I'm like today. And I also get to remember what it was like and to see how grateful I can be today for a program of recovery that saved my life. If I had to, quote, title this talk, I would probably say the title would be, It's Never Too Late. I have been a compulsive, or I was a compulsive over, and still am a compulsive overeater. Uh, probably since the time that I was six years old, I can't remember per se what happened, but I know that in pictures, I could see the changes from six years old up. I became a little plumper and plumper. What I do remember is always being on the diet, following whatever diet my mother was on. Um, I used to use Metrical. I would drink it for the diet and use it for, at the time, my long hair. They were rollers. And you would pour the beer on it. And so we're talking about the 60s. I have some pictures that I'm sure have gone around. I put one on three areas just to show you how this disease has affected me from 101 pounds to my high of 150 pounds. Um, I am five feet one and maybe one half inch. Um, I was that height when I was 101 pounds and I was that height when I was 150 pounds. So you can see that I've had a huge range. Um, I'd like to say that I have given away about 25 or 30 pounds. But the truth is, I don't weigh myself today because there is nothing on the scale that will make me feel good about myself. If I get on the scale, and I've, quote, only lost, then it's not good enough. If I've stayed the same and I ate perfectly, and again, all of these are in quotations for those of you on the tape who can't see me making quotation marks. So I don't go on the scale anymore. So I don't know what I weigh now. But I do know that I'm someplace between those two weights. I was a size 2 at one time. I was a size 12 at another time. And I'm an 8, sometimes a 6 now. So I'd say I'm probably right in the middle. And I would say I am within a normal range. So just by definition, I am abstinent. I am approaching or maintaining a normal body weight. 
But my description of abstinence myself is a little bit different. Um, I describe it as the foods that will set me off, that I am allergic to. And initially, when I came here, I wasn't certain what they were. I had an inkling, which I followed, that the combination of sugar and flour together was something that wasn't good for me, that I would start eating out of control and thinking insanely. It later, there were other foods and substances that were added to that later on, including uh, ice cream and all frozen desserts, whether they're sorbet or frozen yogurt, because of that comforted feeling that I would get when I'd have them. So there really wasn't a known amount. Comfort, I've since learned, should come from my higher power, my sponsor, people, but just not from food. It's not a lasting comfort. And just recently, within the last two years, I had to add peanut butter. And for me, it's about discovery. That's just what it is, and there's no blaming. I didn't know when I started that I couldn't eat peanut butter. I just had to be convinced, and finally I realized that I couldn't. So maybe in two years, I'll know something else. But for today, my abstinence is as I described it to you now. I also work the steps. And for me, that means starting with the admission that I am powerless over food, that my life has become unmanageable. A uh, story from my eating time. Uh, this is before program, and this is the type of thinking that I would have. I went to a grocery store. We, my ex-husband and I, and at the time we were married, we came from New York. And I was always familiar with uh, Haagen-Dazs ice cream in the pipe. But we came here and I got to see that they had Haagen-Dazs bars, three in a package. And I said to myself, oh my God, Ken would be so happy to see this. I have to bring it home. So I brought it home and of course I went about my day and I heard my name. And uh, I went to the refrigerator and I opened it and I had one. And of course, it was everything that I thought Ken would enjoy. And uh, a little later on, again, I went to the refrigerator and had the second one. And then, by then, I looked at what I had done and said, I can't use the third one. Ken will see that I ate two of them already. I ate the third one, took the garbage, didn't throw it in the house, threw it outside the house. And Ken never knew that I had. That's the type of insane thinking, starting with the first one. Ken would like this. That's that strange mental twist that we talk about where what we wind up doing is lying to ourselves. So I had many years of that. I came to OA in 2006. It was about the time that my husband and I separated, soon to be divorced two years later. 
I was living with a girlfriend of mine in Roxbury Park, and um, I was eating out of control. I was eating because I was hurt. I was eating because I was angry. I was eating because I didn't know what I was going to do. And mostly I was eating because I was a compulsive overeater, but didn't know that at the time. So I went for a walk one day after um, hearing that loud and consistent voice from my past that said, you're fat and ugly, you're fat and ugly. I know that today as that critic, that really mean voice, but it was something that I had always heard throughout my life. For whatever reason, that's how I felt about myself growing up and at that time. I could try and sit in years of analysis to figure out why, but I don't think it matters anymore. That's not who I am today. I'm neither fat nor ugly, and this program has helped me to see that. So I went for my walk at Rox- to Roxbury Park because she was a few blocks away, and I sat down on a bench and was reading. And um, for those of you who've heard the story, please bear with me. Um, there were some people seated next to me. They were in the shade. So when they got up, I moved over because I'm not a son's lover. And on the bench was a 12-stepper. And that 12-stepper showed me that right behind me, literally right behind me, was uh, the room for Serenity Sunday. That was November 19, 2006. I went back on November 26, 2006, and I was given abstinence. I was granted abstinence. I have been abstinent since then, and that, for me, one day at a time, is grace of God, because I have that many years of knowing that I could not do this myself. I could for a while. I was very good when it came to being on a diet. I remember that I would be very controlled about it and do it perfectly. And when I was that controlled, I felt powerful. And when I eventually went off the diet, which I did, always, I felt totally demoralized. I had lost all the power. So now I know with this program, A, I have no power to begin with. So I don't need to try to control my food because for me it doesn't work. I have to find something greater than myself, which is my higher power that I call God. I didn't know what God was. I still don't know what God is. I only know what I know my concept of God is. And that is this loving essence that wants the best for me no matter what, and is unconditionally loving, has my back at all times, and teaches me lessons, whether 
I like those lessons or not. So I started to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. And that didn't quite make sense to me at first. So I listened to what you said to me. And you said, get a sponsor. And so I did. So initially, my sponsor would help me by going through the, uh, the steps with me. And I started to listen, and I started to act as if, and I started to try to do what I heard. Because they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, and I'm here to say you can. I was 59 and a half when I first came into program. I was 66 this uh, last March. My life is really good today in the sense that I have freedom, that I have self-love, that I feel on an equal basis with people and not below them, not above them, just kind of humility as we know it. So when I was told to write a um, searching and fearless moral inventory, I did. And many of the, the instances that I got to see my part in showed me that I really was coming from a very childlike thinking and not re- accepting responsibility for what I thought, how I reacted, or anything else. Um, and I got to tell my sponsor all my secrets. And when it was all said and done, there was no disapproving face from her. There was no, how could you do that kind of attitude. These are the things that I would think about in my head, but that never came out. So I got to see where I was selfish, self-centered, and then continued to work the program on turning these, um, so to speak, character defects, or just aspects of my personality. Because if I'm stubborn, it's one thing. But if I persevere, which is along a scale, that's a good character trait. So I looked at what I did have and got to look to see where it is that I might want to be going with God's help. I did my steps eight and nine. I had done step eight even before I, excuse me, step nine with my husband even before I knew it because I was able to see my responsibility of not being an equal partner in that relationship and um, how I ate over what he said or, or, or whatever it was. I had to accept responsibility for me, not for what he did, but for what I did, what I brought, what I didn't understand, what I didn't question. 10, 11, and 12 are the steps that I live in today. I look at my part. I step back. If I need to make an amends, I do. 
Step 11, I continue to um, meditate and pray on a daily basis. It starts my day, it starts my head going in the right direction, and I just feel lucky that I can do that. I feel blessed that I get to say thank you every morning. And when I was first learning about having a relationship with my higher power, I wondered what that meant. And for me, I realized that when I have a relationship with a human being, I call them, I talk to them, I get together. So for me, the first the starting point for me was the realization that I needed to talk to my higher power. And so that's what I did. And I have to tell you the first time that I said out loud, God, I'm talking to you. I don't even know if you hear me. Was the first time, that was the start. That was the acting as if. Because even when we do um, A, B, and C of how it works, it said God could and would if he were sought. It doesn't say God could and would if he were found. So all we have to, all I have to do is seek God's will for me. And it's with me. And 12 is doing service. And for me, that's been a very big part in my life, whether it's at the meeting level, which I'm being of service now. I sponsor. I have, uh, I am sponsored and I do sponsor. I've worked on the OA birthday party twice, and um, I've served on the board of directors of the LA OAIG, and each has brought me to a better understanding of my place in the world, what I can do, what I get from people as a result of giving. So, for me, that's what it's about. I did make some notes, not so much that I'm reading them, but I wanted to tell you a quick story about how OA and the steps work in my life today. Um, In 2008, I got a new director of development and she had her particular personality and way of being and I often had to do 10 steps. She would finish my sentences for me, she would interrupt me when I was speaking and that of course just absolutely made me crazy. So I got to see where this is who she is. I can't control her. There's nothing I can do about it. That's her need. It has nothing to do with what she thinks about me or anything else. But it did get to me, of course. And at some point, I started saying, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. And it was not too far from retirement age. And 
what the program helped me to do is because I was going into work every day with the I got to get out of here mentality and of course not having a good time. Well, there was one day I was rereading the second step and I don't know why, what, or whatever. I heard, when I said I got to get out of here, I heard a voice say, yes, but not today. So that changed for me so that my being became, I want to retire and I will, but not today. And that set me at peace so that I was able to stay to what turned out to be my benefit financially, which I didn't even know at the time about a year and a half longer. So I retired in May 11th, and I am fully retired now. So I have the wonderful task of being able to talk with my sponsees from about a quarter to seven until about 9.10, That's how I start my day after prayer and meditation. And That's really all I have to say about the freedom and the wonderful feelings that I get from working steps and being in program. Yes, it's about weight loss and having a normal body. But for me at this point, I've maintained the same size, so to speak. I've I, I have a little muffin top, as, as we get older, some of us do. And sometimes it's a little bigger, sometimes it's a little less. But I've still been able to wear the same size pants for the last five years. And for me, that's a miracle. So thank you for letting me share. <laughs> This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Thank you, Gary. Um, I think I would say I grew up with the uh, Santa Claus in the sky, God. And um, when I was eight years old, my grandmother was very ill, and she was the most important person to me. And so I prayed every day for God to let my grandmother live. And she had multiple myeloma. And I guess with great, now I can say with the grace of God, he allowed her to not be in pain. But for me, that was 
you didn't answer my prayer. I have no use for you. And it was that way for a long time for me until I was in my 20s and um, I was part of a spiritual community where we would, and quite frankly, I happened to do that because the man I was involved with, with had told me about it. And I used to go pray and meditate. We used to go to what we called satsang, which was speaking of truth. And I came to believe in an essence inside of me, not outside, but inside. And it was from there I continued when I, all those years, knowing that there was something, but not working with it or knowing how to connect or what. And so it was only through program and writing a job description that I developed this constant uh, ability to connect every morning. And I'm not saying I do connect. I'm saying that I believe there is something that I am earnestly trying to be in touch with to help me be of service and the best person that I can be. Uh, with my immediate family, unfortunately, um, my parents both passed away before they got to see me in program and got to see who I am today. Um, my brother is still alive, as is my sister-in-law, my niece, and my nephew, and I'm very, very close with them. Um, I, the truth is, my parents were very loving parents. I didn't have a problem. I just had a problem with me being the rebellious teenager. And so that my concept of my mother was different. I don't, she was, she died in 1995. And although I may I thought I was old enough, I really didn't get to appreciate her as a human being first, I only got to see her as my mom. And for me, in program, what I had to do was to talk to her and to, in a sense, make an amends to her for, not an amends, but I didn't get to tell her how much I really understood and loved her as a human being for all the things that she had gone through. So I'm glad that I was able to do that. I came from a loving home, so I didn't have some of the issues that you hear of here. And I don't have any children, so that's, or husband. I am by myself right now, and that's the way it is, and that's okay. Tell us. Uh, you know, 
how did I deal with my eighth and ninth step? Um, truthfully, I didn't think I had hurt that many people. I think the greatest harm that I had done was to myself. Um, but there were a few people that I needed to make amends to, one of whom I said, I can't do that. I just absolutely can't make amends to him. He did XYZ, XYZ. And it wasn't, I wasn't ready to give over and forgive him for being who he was. Um, but a year later, I was. And so I was able to, at some point, let him know that I admired the work that he did with other... This was a work-related thing. I admired the work that he did on the interreligious work that he's involved in and told him I just thought he was perfect for it. And for me, that was my apology of saying, I'm sorry I ignored you for a year and a half whenever I was able to. And um, I try to the best of my ability to have living amends for some others. I hope that answers your question. Okay. Um, when I started with my sponsor, I read the OA 12 and 12 and answered in the workbook. And um, that was how I started my program. Since then, I've taken several big book workshops, um, two of them in Westchester, one in Santa Monica, or now Culver City. I've been in the uh, OA birthday party. I've taken the big book weekends, and I'm now in the big book workshop in Westchester again for the third time. And I keep getting so much because I didn't see, I wasn't an alcoholic. You know, what does the big book have to do with anything? But I came to see how I do have an allergy and the obsession and the compulsion and how I have that strange mental twist that could lead me right back into it. So that's my program in terms of working the steps. And the rest, I think, is about the service that I do with my sponsors and any other service I may do along the, um, and the different levels. Exercise is not something that I seem to love. <laughs> when, I, when I was younger, I wanted to, I did bodybuilding and, and 
sculpting and all of that, and I loved it. And at the time I started, when I was 40, I said, gee, I wish I could have started this at 30. But at some point, I let that go. I, I walk now, and I do Pilates. And that, to me, is fun. It's challenging. She pushes, and I do it. And it's just, it's just enjoyable for me. Uh, with my time off, I've been able to explore areas that previously I would have said, well, I can't do that, meaning I'm not good enough in it. So I started taking acrylic painting. I make cards from collaging as greeting cards, not for sale, but as my gift of love to people who receive it. And I've now started something different called soul collaging, one word. And I will be going up to take a training in that come next week, um, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday up in Los Gatos. What I'll do with it, I don't know. But it's just a matter of exploration for me. These are the things... I didn't allow myself because I wasn't going to be perfect at it. Now it's like it doesn't matter. Life's too short to worry about being perfect. It's here to be experienced with all of that. So I hope I answered your question. Yes, Um, there's an awareness of it, but not a worry about it. I really do try to stay here now. I'm healthy. I'm mostly sane. <laughs> um, I have long-term care insurance. I have whatever investments I have, I have already designated that. I have not met with an attorney to do a will, or even if I need to do a will. I have not said where or how I want my final, um, what I, my body, whether I will be cremated. I most likely will be cremated. Um, but I haven't designated that, and I haven't said where or what, but I know that's on my radar to do. Um, at one time, I think I was af afraid of being older when it came up on my fear inventory, because it came up as a fear of being invisible. And I don't feel that I will be invisible, and certainly not invisible to myself and the people whom I love and who love me. So worry doesn't help me. If I'm there, I'm not here. It could happen tomorrow. I don't know. But it could happen at any age tomorrow. I think that's all that one minute left counts. Thank you. 
Yeah. Um, I have not changed sponsors. My mind has had thoughts that I should have somebody else, that uh, I should be doing this, this, and this. Um, so what I've done instead is to take big book workshops to talk. I had a separate step sponsor one time that went through the big book with me. But she is my sponsor, and I love her. She's loving. She's kind. She does service. And she's an example for me. She was the example when I first met her. I didn't have a sponsor at first, and I didn't understand what get a sponsor who has what you want meant. But when I saw her at the podium, and I listened to her sense of humor, and I listened to the multiple addictions she said she had, I said, here's somebody I can relate to. That's, I need somebody who has that sense of humor because I always don't. So, thank you. And thank you for letting me share.